Welcome to the Global Health Collective, a podcast sharing with you practical and cutting-edge ways to make change in your community. Current global health challenges are complex, from the rising burden of disease to the climate crisis to health disparities. These are the same challenges impacting our local communities. The world needs each and every one of us to come together to create solutions. Hi, I'm Shania Bopa, your podcast host. I'm a student in the Masters of Science in Global Health Program at McMaster University and executive director of the nonprofit organization, the Canadian Courage Project. With a focus on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, I will be calling on the world's leading changemakers to talk health and sustainable development and share their stories on how we can make change today. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Global Health Collective. It's Shania here, and I'm so excited to introduce you to Tasha Goldberg. Now, for those of you who don't know Tasha, she is a writer and video producer, and she actually traveled the world reporting at the United Nations negotiations and events on the topic of sustainable development. In 2004, she founded a business, Sustainable Solutions, to implement strategic sustainability programs globally and maintaining that active voice in the ongoing planetary dialogue of sustainable development. Tasha has recently founded Evidence of Hope. It's a series of portraits featuring people and projects from around the world who are addressing global health challenges successfully. Evidence of Hope documents and supports progress that is happening right now, demonstrating the reason we should have hope for a sustainable future and continue to push those boundaries in our own actions. Hi, it's so nice to be with you. Thank you for having me. No worries. Now, what is one thing that you would tell your younger self? Now you're so, you know, you've come so far in your career. You are are doing such amazing things, but what would you tell your 22 year old self? We love to skip the part of being awkward and uncomfortable and we have all of this distracting you know mind chatter around what we think we should be if we're going to enter into a space that we've never been in before but that's exactly what we should be doing and I think that if I could go back and tell myself it's okay you don't need to know what you don't know this is a pursuit of learning and discovery and you know take the journey and let yourself not know and get rid of the distracting you know that part can really it can hold you back so much and i can totally relate to that especially i find social media just such a hard thing and such a hard barrier to overcome nowadays like i feel like everyone is sitting in their comfort zone just just praying that their comfort zone will get them to where they would like to be in in their lifetime and i feel like that to to grow you really have to be uncomfortable I think, and I also think that, you know, if you think about the people that you admire, whether it's a musician or an athlete or a politician or somebody in your family, there's a lot of different qualities that might give you a reason to admire them, but it's usually there's this quality that they did something different. And to order, in order to kind of break out of but what you're supposed, the, the, the channels that you think you have to go through, especially during this pandemic, like we've seen so much creativity and creating virtual networking spaces and connecting to each other while maintaining like a physical social distance. And there it's, it's stimulated or triggered by something's not working and you have to try something new. And so that like to free yourself, to be able to 
you know, kind of dare, you know, you can be humble, but you have to have courage, you know? And so I think that that's a really important balance in life and something I still need to learn always. <laughs> and did you, did you always believe that you had to push out of your comfort zone and to really make a difference? You had to stand out in a different way at 22? Or is this something you learned recently in, in your most recent years of, of work? Well, I mean, I don't think that I felt like I had to, but it kind of always naturally happened. You know, I grew up in a way where I wasn't the typical mainstream person. You know, I was maybe, you know, not experiencing things. You know, I just, I was vegetarian at a time where there were, it was like, I might as well have had horn horn on my head. Like that was just not something that was happening. I had like little things that made me a bit different. And so I guess in a way it was a comfort. I, I felt like that was natural. And when I was 22, I was finishing my undergraduate studies and I did a self-design major. So I didn't go through and, and follow a course of study that was already laid out. I had something in mind that didn't exist and then I had to put it together and ask, you know, support from different people, from different professors to allow me the opportunity to study what I really wanted to study. And so when I finished my studies and I started into working in my career, it wasn't that I got an entry level job and, you know, worked my way up. I was the kind of person who would admire somebody or read a book and then write to the author or, you know, reach out to the person and see if I could do some sort of, you know, can I work for you as an exchange? You know, I was always trying to figure out ways that I could creatively put myself in a, in the situation, even though I, I didn't have any of the real qualifications, you know, I never, even with the reporting, I didn't have any of the right qualifications, but, I was persistent and I was also um, creative about how to enter into the spaces that I wanted. Okay. And I feel like, like for me, I, I really do relate to that in the way that I consider some of my projects entrepreneurial in a way. I, I just started a nonprofit to help homeless youth in the GTA and feel like the judgment of being different is so so apparent and just like it's obviously not the norm and so when it's not the norm people people don't understand it and I feel like if you were to give your advice on how to how to spark that entrepreneurial side of you and what how did you spark that and what can you offer our listeners there's a very very you know special feeling inside you touch on what you feel you have a purpose you know and when you have a connection to what it is that you're working on. I mean, there's no shame and nothing wrong with doing work to be responsible, to earn money, to support yourself, to support your family. When you get a chance to, to feel that, that spark, that you have a purpose, it is incredibly, you know, it drives you. And um, I think that there's a balance in being an entrepreneur where you have the intellectual strategy, you know, logic, those types of things, but then you also have to be creative, like we were talking about, and being somewhat of a creative artist type of personality, it, you, you, you don't pay attention as much to what the boundaries are, what the walls are, you're interested in expressing something. And so, for example, with Evidence of Hope, what inspired it was me recognizing what I didn't see, 
and I wanted to see, I wanted to feel safe. I wanted to feel like it was okay and doing all is heavy. It's a, it's a lot to take in, you know, all of this academic research and all of these policies and all of this work and that is important, but that can be, you know, devastating, to be honest with you, um, to really know what's going on on this high level um, in terms of the, the state of our world. I felt like I needed to be able to have something to have faith in or to feel confident that we were going to be okay and that I didn't see that reflected in a lot of journalism and reporting, that it was easier in a way to write a pitch and be like, you know, there's going to be half as much plastic and, as there's fish in the ocean. And, you know, before I show you something, I'm going to rip open this bird and show you all the plastic inside. And it's not, a, it's not that that's a bad approach, but as a result, you know, I felt numb. I was starting to feel withdrawn and depressed. And I noticed that what I wasn't alone in that. And if the goal was to really influence like behavior change, I didn't feel like scary. I, I don't like, I don't like scary movies. It's not, it's not, you know, my, my thing. So I wanted to create something that didn't exist. And so I was already kind of coming out of, um, you know, following a path that was already laid out and trying to create something that didn't exist before. And, and, that meant that I had to be really creative in terms of how to resource my ideas and to, and to make them tangible and to make them actually happen. You know, how to tag on to a work trip, an opportunity to do an exploration, how to, you know, create what I could see and what I was experiencing, how to turn that into something that I could share that was, you know, evocative in a way for other people to experience as well. And, have both in my life where I set, you know, a map and I get logical and I make plans and I organize. And then sometimes I think it's really important to, you know, go on the whole other end of the spectrum and, you know, work with colors and have ideas and, and be creative and let yourself go into a feeling place rather than a thinking place in terms of what it is that you're doing. Yeah, I totally get that. And I think that it, it comes back to what you said about finding your why finding your passion, finding what fuels you. How did you combine your why with the purpose of evidence of hope? How did you find that happy medium? And, and Well, there was a very natural experience that was so joyful. Like when I, so for example, I would go on an assignment where I was reporting and I was covering, you know, disaster risk reduction, or I was covering you know, climate change negotiations. And then I would stay where I was getting, like, you know, so I would spend time where the meeting was being hosted to be exploring, you know, to be able to have the opportunity to travel. And without, you know, organizing it, I was meeting people who were facing exactly what we were just talking about, who were surviving floods, who were, you know, living through natural disasters that were exacerbated by climate change. It wasn't theory. It was their lives. And, you know, so I was drawn to, you know, meet them and to explore and learn from them. And my overall experience was like, was very open, very welcoming. And people responded extremely well to my interests. And I made amazing connections you know the kinds of connections where I felt like I was 
leaving, you know, new family members where I, I really felt like embraced by a community, people like invited me to stay with them in their homes. And, and, and so I was starting to gather all these experiences and I felt almost irresponsible not doing something with them because it was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm stimulated, I'm motivated, I'm inspired, but that maybe I'm being selfish. So, so how can I translate that into something that can be shared? And so I think that the purpose part the, that, like, that is really you know, deeply personal and intimate in terms of like what we feel like we can do in this lifetime, you know, where we kind of meet our, our, our skills and our innate um, capacity and we, we hone it, we train ourselves so that we can deliver something. And I was experiencing that just by connecting with people and being able to exchange stories, to share with them and, and to see that my interest, my admiration was, was creating this really beautiful and dignified exchange. And that became really important to me. And so, um, so, you know, it took a couple of years to figure out what the right formula would be to kind of build up some new skills to be able to film and, and direct other people to film. Um, and eventually what happened was I got to just be myself. And I do feel that I am very, you know, you can see me in the, the different short films of Evidence of Hope, but it, it, is, it is a personal experience that I'm sharing. My, my exploration and what I'm learning, but it is, um, you know, hopefully creating the, this bank of evidence that anybody can draw from. And these are things that can be scaled and modeled in different places. These are, you know, stimulated, but and it's also a way that I can, for example, the, the series that I did, there's two videos from Vanuatu in the South Pacific and um, a local TV network picked up the evidence of hope and has been airing it. And it's all over, you know, all over the South Pacific in Tonga and, and Samoa and um, Papua New Guinea. And, and one of the things that made me so happy, it wasn't, I mean, of course I want to make work that I can share, but it was the idea that these kids see themselves as the heroes and they see their grandmothers as heroes and and you know there's not a lot of that in certain parts of the world and in certain communities and so that part really is has been fulfilling so i don't know if that answers the question but it's 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 like you know part natural what you just you know are experiencing and then part really like dedicating yourself to honing the skills and, every, and and developing yourself to be able to, you know, walk in the, in the shoes that you want. And then a little bit of magic. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think a big problem that I feel like we're all facing as, as young adults is, you know, whether we're a fitness trainer or we are in, in English or in medicine or in global health. Like, I feel like I feel like everyone thinks you need to be interested in politics and global health to make change. And I think that you can be passionate about making change and be from any background possible. I don't think it matters. And I think it's, it's like exactly what you said, honing in on, on your desire to actually learn and educate yourself. And, and you chose the opportunity to do so interacting with, with people and making relationships. But how can I make change and, and put myself out there and look for opportunities 
if I have nothing on my resume? You know, how do I go about doing that? How do I get involved with the UN, for example? Well, I mean, I think that there's a, you know, it's easy to think, oh, I don't, what I don't have. But for example, with reporting and journalism, I always use that to my advantage. I don't know. I'm a great person to ask questions. I'm a great person to send out into the world to learn something because I don't know. So as I learn, I can translate it for people in a way that helps them to learn. So, you know, it's, again, it's, it's, it's thinking outside of the box. Now, I also have been in the place where, you know, I didn't have the resume, or at least I didn't have on my resume, what was the prerequisites for things. Um, I think that there's a couple of really important reflections that I could share. One is that it's, it's really okay to have rejection. It's really okay to try something and for and to like fail utterly. I mean, really, Those are learning experiences and it is, you know, emotionally challenging, but, you know, even with evidence of hope, there's been um, videos that are stories that I have attempted that didn't work and it was frustrating and and difficult, but I learned a lot and I leveled up because I didn't, there's never been a point where I was like, maybe I should give up. Maybe this isn't my thing. You know, this is... So, um, as like a person who is entrepreneurial or as a person who's pursuing something or as a young person who doesn't have a lot of experience, one thing is that's really important is to like really be okay with failure. I know that it's not sexy, but it's real. And, um, the other thing is, is to just really play up to what it is that you think you can contribute. You know, if, if, if someone writes a post and says like, I'm looking to hire this with these descriptions and you look at it and you're like, you know, I don't have that. What do I have? Write that into it. And you know, if you could develop your cover letter in a way that is not apologetic for what you don't have, but really, you know, kind of holding off and shining what it is that you feel like you could contribute. It's entirely possible that the people or, you know, the person reading or, you know, receiving those, those proposals might be like, you know, that's an interesting approach. We've never considered putting this part together. Um, We've never considered this angle that this person could bring to the table. So that's another thing I would say is um, find yourself, you know, oh, and that that's always, you know, you're continuously trying to understand who you are so that you don't get distracted trying to, this knowledge of self is very, very important so that you know what you have to offer you, and you can continue to evolve that, but you have, you know, you want to be clear about what you have to offer. And then the, it's really powerful if you, you know, especially now with social media, it's, it's tricky to figure out all the different ins and outs of it. One thing that it has done is it's made it accessible that you can tweet somebody you can put something in a, a direct message to a celebrity, a politician, somebody you admire. And when you are really very genuine that you are touched by something or you, you, the work is really interesting or this opportunity and you express that, um, that, that can be effective. Now, this might be too technical, but it's not really effective to just say, oh my God, you're amazing. I love what you're doing. I'd love to be part of it. There's that's great, but there's like, it's not very actionable. It's better to say, I love what you're doing. And because it's addressing this, which has been really important to me. 
I would love to be part of this communications piece of it. I have, you know, been developing myself in this way. And then I'd like to talk to you if we could set up a call during this, this actionable, specific request, because people can say no, but they, if, if there's just like a fan mail of some sort, it's not going to be as grounded. And so it's better to kind of target, you know, focus on what it is that, you know, it's not, it's like being interested in working for the UN, there's a million bajillion types of events, organizations, efforts, programs, initiatives. So, you know, being able to narrow down and understand what it is that you're attracted to, what it is that you have to offer, what would be the ideal, you know, let yourself fantasize and then offer in to, to work for free and in, in, in exchange for an experience. I did so much of that, you know, you know, exercise, discipline, like you don't become, you don't do a push up today and then have muscles tomorrow. It's like a, a repetitive, committed way of disciplining yourself to show up for what you, what you want to do. And how did you build that resilience? I feel like fear is the one thing that everyone just, just has within them just a tiny bit, whether it's just like a little ounce or, or a full bucket of fear, but it really, especially with social media now and, and the fact that you're knowing everything about everyone around you and it's almost so competitive and internally you feel like you're, you're competing with not only yourself, but your peers and like, what are people going to think about you? And, and you have to have resilience in some way to be okay with failure, be okay with getting rejected. How did, how can I strategize working on those qualities? Well, I mean, there's, there's, there's two sides to it. Like one, when you, when you like power through something that you have, it is so exhilarating and so exciting. You're like, you know, it's like walking on fire. You just get like, you know, adrenaline. So that makes it, that's the reward. Like you cut, you, you, you kind of like feel so much when you actually move through it. And then on the other side, when you do some, when you try something and your fears come true, it's not that bad. You know what I mean? So like, I've had a lot of, um, times where I felt embarrassed, you know, where I felt like I really messed up and, and and it was okay, you know? So how did I get through that is I had a good support system always. I think that that's really important is like, I love having teachers. I love having mentors, but they're in different spaces. You know, my hula teacher, what I gain from her is a lot of about values. It may not be like looking into the world that this is directly related to the work that I'm doing, but it absolutely is. It, you know, my studies with her have taught me about how to become the woman that I want to be. And I think that, you know, having people that you admire bouncing ideas off of a support system. So you're not just, you know, in your head, um, there's a difference between intuition and fear, which is important to develop. And that again, is a knowledge of self thing. Like if, do you know what you're feeling? Are you, is your, is your mind racing into all these possible outcomes that would just be like really embarrassing and devastating? Or do you have like a gut feeling? This is a no, no. Cause those are two very different routes that you would then take to address there's a, it's important to um, listen to those gut feelings or those feelings that you get 
and and refine what it is that you think you your path forward is but and and if it's your mind sometimes what i do is i make pretend and so we could easily talk ourselves out of doing what it is that we would love to be able to dare to do and we could say what if i fail and what if everybody laughs at me and what if i feel so ashamed i never want to show up in that space again but we could also with that exact same energy and and mental you know exercise say well, what if i succeed what if i share this genuine part of myself and I develop into an even better version of myself? What if there's somebody out there that when I share it connects really deeply and it makes a big difference in their life? Or what if there's an opportunity and somebody offers me a job because I put myself out there, you know? So for me, I play the what if game. Even in my writing, even when I'm exploring a new story, what what if it's possible that's how evidence of hope started what if it is possible to like simultaneously make money and take care of the environment where is that where can i find that what if it's possible so that's like a little personal thing i play the what if game but i try to make it a positive and um yeah i mean this is and it's also this is like very natural and very appropriate things to be aware of as we mature ourselves in our careers like it's part of the process there's you don't you don't just you know usually this is how people develop so it's nothing to again be afraid of is the awkwardness is okay you know i was listening to a podcast the other day that said you aren't born to hate yourself you're not born to to have the doubts and to have the anger toward yourself telling yourself that you're not capable. You that that little voice inside your head is actually a product of your environment and whether that's your consumption with the media, consumption with your friends and family's thoughts, consumption with everything around you. And so that's kind of what the the goal is of this podcast is to offer people that consumption that's positive and that will positively talk to that voice inside of them and and bring out their spirit and push them to want to do better because they believe that they can do better. And I think that's, that's all of it. It's believing that you can do better and believing that you can make change. And how did you connect your, your confidence and your, your willingness in evidence of hope and the SDG goals and which, which SDG goal are you attacking right now and, and formulating in all of your projects? I was reporting at the Rio Plus 20 event in 2012 in Rio. So in it was a really like historic landmark and there was a lot of different things happening at, at the same time. But that was actually where, like it was like the best part of what can happen because it was an opportunity where all these global leaders were, were coming together and the idea of doing the SDGs was actually first conceived there. And it wasn't like wow. on the dais, it wasn't in plenary, it was in these relationships that were building from people spending time together, strategically trying to address global challenges. And it was an amazing thing to start to be able to like pick up that this was possible. 
So it was always very exciting for me to watch. And, and I remember reporting at, you know, there was a lot of uh, maybe like three years of trying to figure out like, what are the 17 goals? How, like, how do you put them together? And what are the targets that go underneath them? Because they're so integrated and interconnected. So I haven't ever felt very much like attached to, you know, the, the one, you know, this goal or that goal. I've obviously spent more time in, in certain goals, you know, um, in reporting. I was doing a lot of reporting that, were, that was ocean related. So there was, you know, focusing on SDG 14 and then with the food that, you know, particularly looking at food loss and waste with the um, SDG 12 and, but it's always constantly changing. And, you know, I'm finishing a post now about cities for The Economist and it's um, looking at another SDG, but it's really, it is important to have the different SDGs, but what has always excited me and been of interest is this relationship of how it's all tied together. So a lot of times, if you notice, um, either from like the reporting of voluntary um, projects or reporting that's, you know, cities are now doing it too and, and, the, and national reports, um, a lot of projects will start because they have a certain target or goal that they're working towards. And then there's a ripple effect in the other goals. It's impossible that you wouldn't address other things when you're, so, um, so it's not that I don't want to, you know, I don't have a good answer. It's just that it's always been a holistic uh, interest for me. And, you know, looking at the uptake or the way that nations versus cities versus communities are able to really ground what the aspiration is into actual actions is also very interesting, that process. I feel like a lot of us, especially those who are, are listening right now wanting to make change, we fixate on one or two goals. We fixate on that goal that we think we're going to attack and, and really tune in on that. And I like the fact that you have a holistic approach because I do, I now see it that it is, it's this trickle down effect. You know, you hit one goal, you're actually hitting five in the making, but you're not realizing it. In one sentence, how can you describe as to why students and young global health professionals should be looking at the SGD goals holistically. We can accelerate our efforts. So if we completely get and value and understand that the empowerment of women and gender equality cuts across all goals, then working on the empowerment of women and gender equality gives us a way to leverage the ability to create social inclusion, to uh, address climate change, to deal with, you know, biodiversity. So there, there is, at this point, we do have to be urgent. We do, you know, as much as we want to be positive, and I, I, I really value what you're doing, and, it, you know, I'm obviously on the same boat, we don't want to lose sight of how important it is to be focused and to jump in. Yeah. Every single person. This isn't for just a certain part of society. This really needs to become a, a taken up by every single person. And not only do we have to do something about it, but we have to make sure that what we do has impact. Yeah. So working in a holistic way is a way to accelerate our efforts. It's a way to engage with people. It's a way to share resources, outcomes. Um, and it's a way to, you know, leverage whatever it is that you're doing, make it work 
as much as possible for as many people as possible. And this has been a very intense year across the board for so many reasons. And we need to do things that make a difference. I was I was reading this book and it was saying that the world's most pressing issues are man-made. The only mm-hmm. way we are going to solve these issues are are with us. Like humans need to take action to make change and to create for solutions to the problems we created. And right. so I think wrapping our heads around the fact that no it might not necessarily just be climate change or politics that are are ruining our globe. It's it's the fact like economics, global cooperation, understanding that we need to work together, every single country in the world, we're all a piece of the puzzle. Every single person is a piece of this master puzzle. And A, realizing that your puzzle piece is so important. And B, realizing that you can actually change the way your puzzle piece is attributing to the global master puzzle. Absolutely. I mean, we haven't really had a chance to value certain things. Like we've, as as a global society, we've, we've valued money and financial resources we value science and you know except for some people but most people you know (laughs) value science we haven't really developed social sciences around sustainability to be able to effectively influence you know behavior change which i think that is something that we can do better and we haven't valued um the importance of self-care in being able to show up to do important work in the world you know, like all of these things that we were talking about overcoming within ourselves, that's all so that we can get the distractions out of the way and really do something with our, our time and our energy. And, you know, as an individual, valuing our own self-care so that we don't have to become distracted by these things that we can exercise so that we can really show up ready to, to give ourselves our energy and our time. Something that you could do every day is, I think it's important to figure out like, what are your sources of information that you can check on? Cause like, you know, a lot of people will just go to their Apple news and you know, then you're getting Fox and sort of mainstream outlets. But if you curate what it is that, you know, like you listen to a lot of podcasts, but if you sort of curate even through social media, where you're getting your information so that you are looking at things that are from a different perspective, not just an American or Canadian or North American view, but developing relationships is also really important. So not in a way that you're trying to like work every angle when you meet somebody, but I always had this practice that when I would come home from an event, I would take all the business cards because you know people love to give you business cards and organize them so that when I was doing something about forests, I could look into all the people I have met that are forest people. And, you know, when you're learning about something and you turn to the people who you've met or the trusted, you know, voices and you ask them to share with you, it's what they do. And it's an honor. You know, it's, if someone's written a report and you want to read it, they want to send it to you. You know, imagine asking someone if you could read their PhD. They'd be like, oh my God, yes, thank you. So finally, someone can read my PhD. So making personal relationships within the fields that create that integrated view, I think is important and curating your own way of where you're getting information to be inclusive. You know, that's our responsibility is to not just live inside of a bubble. I think it it comes back to, we we have the control and the ability to control our consumption and whether that's consumption from our media, our friends, our family members, what we're consuming mentally and physically are, are both so important. 
And I think specifically with this, we have the opportunity to filter. So filtering our social media channels, following networks that you truly believe their, their, their why and their purpose and trusting them and then creating relationships with people as a, con- as a consequence of that. So I definitely think what I've gauged from this is just to really instill confidence, I think, and everyone listening is to instill confidence, find your why, find your purpose, mm-hmm. and establish that, and then filter your consumption and put yourself out there and don't be afraid of rejection. But one last question before we go. What is one quote that you live by and why? James Baldwin said that the world changes according to the way people see it. And if you alter even a millimeter the way a person looks or people look at reality, you can change the world. So as a communicator, as a dancer, as a writer, as a journalist, as a producer, it's inspiring to me to think that I can present something that can alter how somebody sees the world and help them value something that they didn't, they didn't value because they didn't have an experience with it and that can create a connection so that people can start to understand their experience that they are in relationship with this and then value it and then once somebody values it there's another quote that has always been really influential to me and Jacques Cousteau he said people value what they love and so if you can help people to create love. So that's the difference. You know, it's not, I don't want to create fear. I don't, I want to create love. So if I can show you a video and you can feel love and it helps you change the way that you perceived, you know, like the um, evidence of hope, Yayata Valley, like a lot of people think of indigenous people living in the bush of Tanzania as living in an archaic way. They don't necessarily think of them as innovators of climate technology, but that's what the story does. That's the story shows you that they're both. And hopefully what's happening is that I'm sharing the story in a way that you're starting to feel like a lot of love. There's, it's beautiful. There's, the characters are really amazing. I'm having an experience. I'm connecting. And so there's emotionally creating love and so that there's a value for something and then going back to James Baldwin hopefully I'm altering how people see things and creating an opportunity to value it in a new way. That helps me so much reframe the way that I perceive the global issues that are happening right now and I think it's important yes be fearful of the way that the world is going but be inspired to know that change is being done and it is possible and it takes everyone to take a couple steps everyone needs to take a couple steps to get there but having that confidence to take those steps is i think the most important part and let yourself admire let yourself admire people and projects that are that's an that's a compass if you admire something or something that someone's doing then you can lead you into a change behavior can lead you into a new way of, of working and it feels good, you know, let yourself feel good as you pursue this path of making a difference. Well, thank you, Tasha, for coming on the show. It was so amazing to talk to you today. And for everyone listening, be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Global Health Collective to be updated with our upcoming episodes and what we have in store for season one and season two coming very soon.